Well, we are still in Christmas. Actually, in the church year, Christmas just started. Okay, it was Advent up until Christmas. And then we start what's called Christmas Tide, which is the season after. How many of you can remember you, you didn't used to put up your tree till Christmas Eve? Does anybody remember that? And you, we used to, in the church, you would sing Advent carols until Christmas, and then you would sing Christmas carols. And so I put a Christmas song on in the car today on the way here, and my kids said, are you playing Christmas music? Yeah, Christmas just started. Okay, there were 12 days of it at least, remember? Um, and so we're still in Christmas. Next week, I'm actually going to do an Epiphany sermon. We're going to talk about the wise men next week. So Christmas isn't over around here. We're just getting ramped up. But since today is New Year's Day, I decided I really wanted to do a New Year's Day sermon. And so... Uh, though we're singing Christmas carols and we got Christmas decorated today, we're going to do a New Year's sermon because New Year's is kind of a special uh, time. We people are out there saying Happy New Year. A lot of people are making New Year's resolutions. It's kind of this time where you start thinking about, hey, what was last year like, and what do I want this year to be different? Okay, last night at my house, I, I played, I put a bunch of pictures together from the year, like what happened. We put them on the TV. And I was sort of swiping through, and we were looking at the, the year past, but also there's the year coming, and you start thinking, well, what's on next year? And uh, I'm starting to think, well, what am I preaching next year? I don't know. Uh, so i got to figure some of these things out. Um, and and if, you, if you work out at the YMCA, the YMCA is about to get really busy for like three weeks, right? And then uh, it'll die back down. Don't worry about it. Um, I'm so, so I'm interested in this drive that we all have at this time of year to maybe change things, maybe try some new things, form some new habits. I'm also terribly interested in the idea that it almost never works, right? That the YMCA will eventually just, by February, most people will not be there anymore. They'll pay for a membership for six more months, but they won't use it. Um, so it's funny, like we, we, we want to make changes, but we can't, like, it, like it's hard. But at the same time, how many of us are making changes that life is forcing us to change, right? And, and uh, we've gone through COVID, we've gone through so much where the life is just forcing us to make changes. So isn't it this funny dichotomy, right? The changes I want to make, I'm, I feel kind of helpless to make sometimes. On the other hand, there's all kinds of changes I don't want to make, and I've got no choice in the matter. I, I, I'm, you're going to get, you know... You, you can't not get older, right? You can't not have your insurance change. You can't, there's lots of stuff you have to change, lots of stuff you feel like you can't stop or change. This is interesting in the Bible, too, because uh, Hebrews 13 says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a sense of God is always the same. Nothing changes. On the other hand, God says in Revelation 21, Behold, I am making all things new. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? So there's always this challenge of, of past and future. There's always this struggle of some things stay the same and some things need to change. And I, So today I want to wrestle with that a little bit. To do that, we're going to look at uh, a saying of Jesus. This is one of the interesting sayings of Jesus that show up in three Gospels. It's in all three of the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're going to catch it in Mark 2, starting in verse 18. Hear the reading of God's Word. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. 
And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth into an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and the worst tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, people have noticed something about Jesus' disciples. The Pharisees fast. In fact, we know they fast because they'll fast and they'll tell you about it. They'll be on the corner praying out loud and telling you about their fast. And John's disciples, remember John the Baptist, he's kind of a weird guy out in the woods eating locusts, okay? Uh, his disciples are fasting. But Jesus' disciples don't fast. They don't refrain from eating for periods of, the time, at, of time to kind of get themselves into prayer. And so people say, well, how come they're all fasting, but your disciples aren't fasting? Now, we should start out by saying Jesus is not anti-fasting. Okay? He started his ministry with 40 days of fasting. He at one point tells the, the disciples come to him because they can't get a demon out of somebody. And he says, oh, this one only comes out with prayer and fasting. And even in the passage, he says, they don't fast right now while the bridegroom's here. When the bridegroom is gone, they will. Jesus is not anti-fasting. He's not anti that tradition. But he gives three metaphors for them to help them understand why his disciples don't fast. Okay, he throws three of them, and they're sort of in order, and they're sort of built on each other. First, he talks about people not fasting when the bridegroom is here. What is, that? What is a bridegroom coming? It's a wedding feast, everybody. It's a wedding feast. The last place you want to fast is a wedding feast, right? right? If there's a cookie table, I ain't fasting. That's not what's happening at all. Okay? If the bridegroom is here, then that's the time you want to eat. Sometimes you feast and sometimes you fast. Jesus is saying, well, the bridegroom's here. It's feast time. It's not fast time. Now, now what, this is a huge metaphor that I don't have time to fully develop. But in the Old Testament, part of the way the prophets talked about the Messiah coming was it was going to be like a feast, a banquet, a bridal party. The Messiah was going to be like a bridegroom coming. And one of the signs of the bridegroom coming was it was going to be a party and there was going to be lots of flowing wine. This is why it's important that Jesus' first miracle is what? Water into wine, right? It's a sign that He... And it's, it's also important, this is part of the metaphor, of communion that we're going to do in a little bit ago. That this is a banquet table. Okay, this is a feast, and uh, that Jesus is represented in what? The blood. Okay, the 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 wine, the grape juice here. Okay, so Jesus said, "Hey, you know, we, we this is not the time to fast. It's the time to feast because the bridegroom is here." He's saying, "I'm the bridegroom. I'm the Messiah. And while I'm here, that's not the time to fast." Now his next metaphor is a sewing metaphor. In those days, most clothing was made out of animal skins or really out of wool. Okay, And so what would happen is over time, they would shrink. Your clothes would shrink. You had to build into your clothes the fact that when you got them, they'd be this size and then they sort of shrink down. Okay, um, But when you got a tear in your clothing, you'd have to patch something in there. But the flaw would be 
if you've, if you've patched in something that hadn't also shrunk, so it still needed to shrunk, what, shrink, what would happen? Well, you'd have this hole, and then you'd patch in a piece, and then that piece would shrink, and it would tear all around it, make it worse than the original hole was. So part of what Jesus is saying at this point is, hey, I have come to heal a broken world. I've come to heal a tear. Fasting can be something, he's implying here, that helps people. It can be something that helps people in, uh, in fixing tears. It can bring them to prayer. But right now I'm fixing the whole tear. And so this is not the time to fast. It's the time again to feast. And then we get to the metaphor I really want to play with today about the wine and the wineskins. So here's what would happen. In the ancient world, you would, you'd have to take grapes and press them. You'd press them by walking on them, actually. And then you would get them ready, and then you would have to have your wine ferment over time. Now, now the, the thing is, when something is fermenting, it's a chemical reaction, and there's gases that come out of the chemical reaction, whatever you're fermenting. And, uh, and what they do now is they have pressure release valves to let that pressure out, but keep everything from the outside, all the chemicals from the outside world, out of whatever they're fermenting. But in the ancient world, they didn't have that. So you couldn't just leave it out to ferment, otherwise gross stuff would get in it. You couldn't ferment it in a sealed jar, because eventually it would expand because of all the chemical reaction. Your jar would break. So what you had to do if you wanted to make wine was you had to put it in a wineskin. And a wineskin was normally made out of goat skin. And the idea was that as the wine would sort of bubble, it would sort of gurgle, it would sort of change, it would ferment, the wineskin could, the goat skin could stretch to allow the chemical reaction without, but also be sealed and not let anything else inside. Everybody see the metaphor so far? Okay, now here's the problem. If your, if your goat skin gets too old, Okay, remember we just said, what does skin, what does clothing do? Shrinks. Okay, so what your goat skin would eventually do is it would cease to be able to stretch. It would get tight. Okay, it would get brittle. And then if you used an old wine skin, that wine would build up pressure, and then it would what? It would explode. It would burst. Okay? And then Jesus says, you ruined both the wine and the wine skin. You can't use the wine skin anymore. You just put a hole in it. You can't use the wine because it's all over the floor. So Jesus is saying, hey, hey, I'm doing something new here. God is doing something new in me. And some of those old wineskins aren't ready to handle the new thing that's coming. Okay, this, this idea of fasting, this is not the time to fast. There may be times to fast. But right now, that practice doesn't fit with what God is doing right now. This would prove true, by the way, of so many Jewish customs. So many Jewish customs wouldn't fit the Jesus next steps, the new wine. And so they'd have to go and new practices would have to be put in their place. Some would move forward. But either way, they were going to have to rethink some of the things that they were doing. And so kosher eating, that didn't, that was, that's an old wineskin. We need a new wineskin. Fasting and prayer? No, let's keep those, actually. So Jesus is saying, this is why my disciples don't, don't fast. It's because there's a new wine in town. And uh, the bridegroom is here, and so those old wineskins, this is not time for them. Now, I think this has huge implications for how we understand change and newness in our lives, because I think Jesus is sharing a much larger principle here. 
Okay, I think that God often wants to do new things in our lives. But the problem is, if we do everything exactly the way we've done them, it doesn't have room to grow. The old structures, the old ways of doing things, the old wineskins of how we think, those things aren't flexible enough for the future. It's like somebody who makes a New Year's resolution to get in shape. And they say, okay, I'm going to diet and exercise. What's the problem? The problem is it's going to take a lot more change than that, right? You might need to also change how you sleep. You may need to get up earlier for different practices. You may need to change how you shop. You may need to change how you think about food. You may have to stop eating out and pack lunches. That means you've got to shop differently at different places. See, to actually change, you can't just change the wine, like pick up a new habit. You've got to actually change the wineskins, the container. A lot of those things may have served you well in the past. It won't serve you well in the future. And if you don't change, you're going to end up ruining the new practices. You lose the wine and the old practices that can't hold up. So let me, let me try to bring this to life for you. I, I read a book several years ago now called Team of Teams. Uh, I've talked about it in some leadership stuff I've done here. The Team of Teams was written by a guy named General Stanley McChrystal. You may have heard of him or seen him on the news before. General Stanley McChrystal was the director of special operations in Iraq and in, in Afghanistan at different parts of his military career. So what he would do, he was running the most elite unit in the world. Okay, When he was in Iraq, it was the best soldiers, the best trained soldiers from all kinds of different armies, not just, not just American soldiers. They had the best equipment. They had the best training. This was the best of the best. And they went to Iraq, and you would think that they would do really well, but they were doing terrible. They were getting their, their butts handed to them, really, by teenagers and 20-year-olds that are unorganized and unstructured, but just learning how to do stuff on their phone. They couldn't keep up with all the different things that the people in Iraq were able to do to try to disrupt. They're always disrupting. And what McChrystal started to realize was the army was structured in a very hierarchy system, right? Top down. A lot of people in here have been in the military. What do they teach you how to do? Obey orders. You are taught not to, th don't think. We don't want you to think. This is your order. You do the order. The problem was that doesn't work in the way war is done today. Okay, that was really great when we stood out on fields and my army was over here and your army was over there and I was on a hill behind and I kind of just played war like chess and the general could see the whole thing. That's too slow in today's world. Okay, the army was actually structured. What he found was he was actually structured for a war they weren't in, for a world that didn't exist anymore. And they were losing because they were built for a, they had old wineskins, right? They were built for a war that wasn't happening anymore. And in fact, because of that, they were ill-equipped. It was actually antithetical to what they wanted to accomplish in Iraq. And so he had to totally restructure how they did things. He had to give a lot more autonomy to individual teams. He calls it team of teams because that's what they sort of did. They sort of had these individual units and they sort of flattened the organizational structure so leadership becomes sort of the center hub of information and setting goals. And they gave a lot more control to all these different teams to be able to function. But, but, but they, were, they were functioning in old wineskins. They were never going to win with building war the way they did in the Civil War. No, they had to rethink how they structured. Otherwise, the old wineskins weren't going to work. 
And then McChrystal now, he does consulting with companies because he came back from war, he retired, and what he found was co companies are in the same boat. How many of you kind of realize this? Okay, a lot of corporations are built top down. They're built to make decisions slowly in a world where the, the key to the world now is adaptability. Can we change? Can we shift? Not only was it not working, it, it, it's antithetical to what we need for today. The old wineskins aren't going to work. Think about a lot of our companies. Think about our United States government. Are we real adaptable right now? State, local governments, real adaptable to the changes? I mean, we just went through COVID. How did that go? Right? Uh, are a lot of our churches real adaptable? A lot of our churches really built for, or we built like we were built a long time ago, and we're in a new world now. And you can try to have new life. You can try to have new things go on, but, but it's like that person trying to diet. If you just say you're going to diet or exercise, but you don't actually change the structure, okay, you don't change the wineskins, you're in trouble. It's true personally. Most people fail New Year's resolutions because they, they don't fathom how much they have to change. They actually have to change who they are. They actually have to change their character. They have to change, overhaul their habits to change one habit. And so most people don't. Most people don't make a lot of changes. Most people kind of stay where they are. They want new apps, but they don't want to change the operating system. They want new, new little behaviors, but they don't want to change the whole thing. And actually, the further and further we go along, the more the old wineskins aren't working anymore. We actually need some new structures, some new wineskins. That's in our lives, that's in our churches, that's in our world. So let me, let me just give you a couple of reflections to finish on how do we start thinking about old wineskins and new wineskins in our lives. If God, first of all, I'm, I'm starting with an assumption that I believe God wants to do new things in your life. I believe God has plans. He has purposes. He has new mercies for you every day that God wants to teach you. And if God wants to teach you something new and God wants to do something new through you, through this church, through your family, through your work, then God's going to have to shape you and change you. We're going to have to have some new wineskins. God's going to have to rebuild you. I'm assuming that 2022 Jordan Rimmer is not enough to handle 2023 life. I'm, I'm assuming that my, what I do, what I did last year isn't going to be enough for next year. I'm assuming that where we are as a church, what we're doing now in 2022 is not going to be enough for 2023. We're going to have to keep growing. We have to keep adapting. That's how the world is. That's how life is. And so we assume that. We assume that there's going to be new thinking Right? I'm not organized enough. I don't know enough. My thinking is not clear enough. My habits aren't set up right. I'm going into 2023 knowing that I need to step up into 2023. To think about this, here's another army phrase for you. My dad used to use this all the time, and I use it quite a bit. Be, know, and do. Be, know, and do. What do I need to be? Okay, how do I need to change my behavior? Um, what do I need to change in my thinking? No, what don't I know that I need to know for next year? And do, what are some new things that I actually need to try on? Some new behaviors, some new habits, some new practices. Another thing is, we've we got to learn how to deal with our old wineskins. I know a lot of people that want to just jump into the future and like throw away all the old wineskins. But 
not, not only do we not need to do that, we need to be, be respectful and thankful for our past. Okay? And we need to learn from our past, because actually a lot of that's going to move forward. Right? So, so you don't just throw off the old wineskins. You, you learn from them. You, you grow from them. You take the good of your past. Some of us, though, have old wineskins that really do need to be thrown off. Things from our past. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's things that happen to us. Sometimes it's bitterness. Sometimes it's, it's a mistake that I made. I heard, I heard a great phrase for this. If this is you and you've got a past that you, that you regret or mistakes that are kind of holding you back, you got old wineskins that you don't like, but you can't let them go. Um, I, I was listening to a thing by a guy named Rob Bell, an author named Rob Bell. One of the things he said is, if you have a mistake like that, that you did, just say, hey, that was an old version of me. That was an old version. That was, that was Jordan 2.0. I'm 4.0 now. The reality is, I wouldn't be where I am today if I wasn't for the mistakes that I made in the past. And since I made those mistakes, they may have cost me, but I won't make them again. So if you have those things in your past, just throw them off. Say, hey, that was old me. That was an old previous version of me, and now I'm becoming a new version of me, so we'll just let that go. I want to also encourage you, as you think about some of these things, to think bigger than one year. I heard Rick Warren say once, uh, pastor and writer Rick Warren, he said, most churches overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in five to ten years. Let me say it again. Most churches overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in five to ten years. I think that's true of people too. You know, I'm not sure you're losing 100 pounds this year, right? But in five years, you can get pretty dang close, right? In 10 years, you can be a very different person. You, you can, so, so sometimes we need to take an even longer perspective. What do I need to do this day, this year, to set me up so that in five to 10 years, I'm exactly where God is calling me to be? So as you think about 2023, you think about your new wineskins. Think about new wineskins, not just for 2023. Think about how you need to stretch and grow into the future. If God is going to pour new wine into you, into this church, into this world, and I believe that's what God wants, is new life for a lot of us. And we're going to have to grow. We're going to have to be pliable. We're going to have to uh, be adaptable. We're not enough for what God has for the future. And so um, one of the things my teacher, Len Sweet, says, hats off to the past. Like, thanks, past, sleeves up to the future. Let's go. Let's step up into the future that God has for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.